that's incredible. Hey, welcome to church. I'm just going to get to some stuff that I need to tell you about what's happening and what God is doing right now. Um, can we just dive in? I'm just ready to go. I feel like you're all ready to go. So. Normally I have to take a couple minutes to convince you that you're ready to go. Can I get this mic up a little bit, please? Um, hey guys, we got a, uh, some venue folks are going to, uh, to El Salvador um, sometime soon. And uh, Venue Church, I want you to know that you paid for somebody. They're going to be building houses there. You paid for somebody's new house in El Salvador. Um, so thank you for your generosity. Um, listen, I know that there's a lot going on right now in the news about the Ukraine. Um, both of my grandparents came from what used to be part of the Ukraine. My dad was uh, just showing me a map from where that was. Listen, Venue Church, a friend of mine who was on stage at the grand opening actually uh, has a church there and uh, you just gave them wrote them a check for four thousand dollars to just we're gonna feed some people the refugees are coming from from um, uh, the places that are and they're coming into these areas where this church is we're gonna feed some folks we're gonna do the work of God in this world I know that the world is a broken place but when we lift the name of Jesus and when the church stands up and uh, I don't mean stand up and get judges and gets mad at everybody. I see a lot of people posting a lot of stuff and I'm like, let's put our money where our mouths are and like actually help out in the world. So there, I'm all emotional, but I'm good now. I'm like not emotional anymore. Uh, there's an if gathering happening this week for women. So um, the cost of that is $40. We want you to be able to come. And if you're financially strapped right now, come on, somebody in venue, if you got an extra 40 bucks, let's pay for one of the daughters of God to get to this thing. So that's happening this week. You need to register. I have no idea where you're supposed to do that. Church Center app, there you go. Or just talk to somebody over by the, um, the box office over there. Is that what we're calling that? The brick wall. That's what we're now calling that. Um, hey, listen, um, God doesn't want you to, to struggle this week, uh, this month, I should say. And first Wednesday is coming up at 7 o'clock on Wednesday. And um, there's going to be something really special happen that night. Uh, we're just planning that now, and so it's going to be great. That's a night of, like, worship and prayer and, and ministry uh, to the body of Christ. So I want you just to take a, a second and give a huge shout-out to the Venue Youth Team. Because they just did... There was like 60 some like youth and stuff here on Thursday night. It was like a youth revival uh, night and it was the first one we've ever done here. And it was just incredible. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Uh, so 30% of Airdrie's popu uh, population is under 19. So that's why we need a really strong youth ministry. And because I'm tired of uh, pastoring messed up adults. <laughs> so if we can get them young, man, like let's get them free and save me some work. Um, I want to thank, um, particularly, I'd like to thank uh, the team, mostly Scott, who did the work for the Dream Team Party. Um, my family was like, that was the best family day ever. And so my buddy Colt from Venue Kids, I don't know if you know Colt, uh, he, was, he was talking to, I think, his sister, like, do you think there'll be bouncy castles there? And his sister's like, it's winter, buddy. Like, and then they came in here, and there was like a bouncy castle the length of the thing here. And, and he's like, wow. So anyways, um, you know, uh, if you're new to Venue Church, I'm Pastor Corey, by the way. Um, we, we go to war for our city and for our people and for our neighbors, but we have fun doing it. And so if you don't like fun, go find a different church. The, um, I'm just kidding. Stick around and uh, learn how to have a little bit of fun at church. Some of us, you know, in the churches we grew up in. Did you like that? I couldn't figure that out. I got it now. 
some of us in the churches we grew up in, uh, they mis- mistook um, not having fun for the holiness. You know what I mean? I think you can be holy and have a lot of fun. In fact, I'm not sure how much fun you can, how much holiness you can have without a little bit of fun, the joy of the Lord. So next week, I have something incredible planned for you. Um, do you remember on the grand opening, the big, the gentle giant pastor who prayed for me and us and made me cry? He's uh, coming to preach next weekend. So you got to come out. Uh, that's Pastor Jono from Evolved Church in Edmonton. So you're, you're going to want to come to that. Um, Thanks. Uh, thank you, Lisa. Pastor Nate's sermon last week, he said something that was interesting. First of all, he gave you a 15-minute challenge. Like, hey, don't just come to church and catch up with the people you always catch up with, you know. Um, you're going to see them in small group anyways. Come 15 minutes early and stay 15 minutes late and make some connections with people and invite somebody on your journey with you. Um, I thought that was great. He said something I just want to key off of. He said, this next year will be your best year if it's your best year spiritually. Because everything follows what happens in your life spiritually, which is your connection with God. If, if you want next year to be your best year, it's got to be your best year spiritually. And there are three disciplines that I'm going to talk about that are the basis of spiritual connection with God. But they're also the basis of connection with people. Um, and so here are the three things. I think that if you want uh, some holy habits that will cause this to be your best year. Because um, you're really only here to connect with God and people. Did you know that? That's why you exist on earth, you know. And so I'm going to show you the path to connection in this sermon. Um, here are the three disciplines, um, but it's really just how, how um, connection works. The first thing you have to learn in uh, relationships, I think, is speaking. Now, some of y'all didn't have to learn a lot uh, with that. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about this in a second. You have to find your voice in a relationship, even with a relationship with God. The next thing you need to learn is how to listen. And everybody's like, I'm a great listener. I'm like, you keep saying that, but I'm trying to talk. And you're like, I'm a great listener. You know, um, and I'll talk about that in just a minute. The third thing that everything hinges upon is what the sermon is called today. And that is the awe factor. The awe factor. A-W-E, the awe factor. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, like, what is that? The awe factor. If you lose awe in a relationship, you will lose the relationship's communication. Now, all the communication, there's a lot that I hear now like, hey, we're not communicating well. As if communication is what the relationship is based on. There's something that's far more important that, that if you lose the awe factor, you will end up losing the communication. In fact, it's based on the awe factor. So let's get into that. Um, if awe is misplaced, connection will be impossible to find. If awe is misplaced, connection will be impossible to find. Do you know what endears you to people? A sense of awe. You ever, you ever see somebody who's just like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. I want to hang out with that person. You know who I don't want to hang out with? A know-it-all. How do I know if I'm a know-it-all? I'm glad you asked. A know-it-all, you know, there's that thing inside of us that, that is just so maybe insecure that, that we're just trying to find the right answer all the time. You know, if, if there's only two of you in a room and, you know, when I'm a know-it-all, I think that I always know the answer to everything. And when the, there's an opportunity for the other person to speak, if I feel like they're not going to be right about that, I got to like say it first, right? Because yeah. I think that arriving at the right answer is, is the, the most imp- important thing or that I'm the one who arrives at the right answer. Um, the point in life is not arriving at the right answer. It's arriving at the right destination. Yeah. 
Come on, gentlemen, you can be right and sleep on the couch. <laughs> it's a different way to think about it. It's a different way to think about it. God wants you to arrive at the right destination, which is connection with God and connection with people. Not in being right all the time. You can be right and not be connected. You can be right as a mom, but not be connected to your teenager. You can be right in a marriage. You can be right with your boss and not have a job because you can be right about the thing. I was right about the thing, you know? And how are you? I'm just preaching out of my own experience. So if this has nothing to do with you, your wife thinks it has everything to do with you. So I'm just going to tell you right now. Just lean over and just be like, this is for you. Right. Um, now, um, we've been studying in the life of Daniel. So we started with, um, with Daniel being taken away as like a teenage slave with his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So the, the holy habits have started him on the path for his destiny. Um, now we're at the end of Daniel's life. He's in his 70s. Kings have come and kings have gone. And he has stayed at the top tier of government the entire time. What was it about Daniel? I've been just, it's been breaking my brain. What was it about Daniel? Because some of you, you'll have a good like five meters in the race. But this is a marathon. And Daniel at the end of the race is doing as well as he's ever done. He's like at the top of his game. Now, if you're Daniel, you may not know this, but people used to, succession was like by murder back then. You think your life is like, you don't even understand how cruel my office politics are. Did they poison you? Are they literally trying to kill you all the time? Well, he's grown up in this, like, in this incredibly difficult environment, running a nation and serving kings underneath. And there's something about Daniel that endears him to kings. There's something about him that has this awe factor. He's not a know-it-all, but he does know a lot. But he just doesn't come across as this, there's this awe factor about him. Sometimes, um, I was uh, preaching to the youth at the revival night and, um, and I was talking like your four to five friends will determine your destination. And so there's something about your friends that have to have this awe factor about them. And, and just give me a minute to, to preach into this. I forgot about these. I told Rachel yesterday because Liverpool, which is heaven's team and venue church's team is playing Chelsea right now. And I told Rachel, it's going to be a, a tough day for you. So get some prayer because Rachel cheers for Chelsea. I'm like, get some prayer in the prayer corner afterwards. And she brought me these tissues this morning. So pray for Rachel. She needs some repentance in her life. Um, I was thinking about Daniel. Some of us haven't gone through a lot of life and we're kind of bitter. Um, he's not bitter. He's in his seventies. He's had a, a load on his shoulders. He has performed at the highest levels. He's not making bad emotional decisions. He's not making bad purchases. He's not angry. He's still a great friend. He's still a great servant of the kingdom. Um, now, as we think about the awe factor, you know, I was thinking about it. It's like a race that we run at the beginning of the race. You got all this adrenaline, you know, when you first um, come into a new situation, or let's say you have like a baby. I don't know if you have a baby. Um, we've had, I have four daughters and there's this awe factor about a baby. Like, oh my goodness, God, do you know what you're doing? Cause I have this baby, you know, like <laughs> you haven't watched my fail army videos of myself, you know, like, um, there's this sense of awe when you get a new job, right? You walk in there, you're just like, oh my goodness, like there's a lot going on here and I got to learn. And, um, or you start dating somebody, you know, the sense of awe is like super high when you're dating, right? And your behavior is like really good too. Your own mom wouldn't recognize you. 
most of you, you know, they're like, um, <laughs> come on, just say amen and I'll move on, all right? Or like, or, or you come to a new church and your sense of awe is high. You're like, oh, wow, this is great, you know? Um, or you come into a relationship with God and you have this new thing with God. The sense of awe is really high. But as time goes on, it's like in a sense of, of adrenaline. It's almost handed to you at the beginning. But as time goes on, it starts to bleed a little bit. And then, then there comes this weird little thing where, where we start looking for awe kind of in the wrong places. Um, now, it's kind of complimentary at the beginning, though. My, um, you guys know Pastor Aaron, right? She, now, when I first talked to her, my first conversation with her on the phone, you know what I thought? I'm like, this is a smart girl. Now, knowing what I know now, I should have married a dummy and had dumb kids. So everybody could be like, Pastor Corey, you're amazing and super smart. And now it's more like, wow, they have to live with you. Um, so whatever, that's on me. But <laughs> they get to live with me. Um, I remember talking to her. Now, we were forming a worship band to play at the UFC campus and um, with like college kids. And, and uh, now there's two types of people. If you're new to church, when you describe somebody on the church worship team, this is how churches do it. It's kind of funny, but there's like, there's two types of people. There's people who are like good at singing and good at playing guitar and good at playing drums. There's like good people. And then there's people who love Jesus, <laughs> right? And so like, how so-and-so, um, <laughs> they love Jesus. That means their mic not be on, but they love, they, they love Jesus. Like they can't sing, but they really love Jesus. And so I was asking uh, Pastor Aaron, you know, uh, before she was a pastor, I guess, I was asking her, so what's this, the first conversation I had with her, what's the team like? Like, where are we at musically? And so she said, this is what she said. Uh, she's like, okay, the drummer, this, that. She goes, and the bass player's name is Saul. And, um, and, and uh, she says, I'm not sure what kind of musical shape he's in. And I'm like, Saul loves Jesus. And as I played with Saul, I realized Saul really, really loved Jesus. We were playing in Vancouver one time, and, and Saul, I, I literally, during a worship set, was turning around yelling, Saul, we're in the key of A! A, Saul! And he was doing these amazing runs, but like, I don't know, he was just like, kind of in this key and in that key and all. I don't know if Saul knew where Saul was. And uh, just the way that that uh, Aaron said that, I just remember thinking to myself, like, how, who else would be able to say that Saul is not good in such a clever and emotionally intelligent way? I'd have just been like, he's not good. Like, we need another one. We need a, a new Saul. You know, but the way that she said, it, I thought that's just intelligent and in how she did that. Now, by the time that we went on our, our really kind of our first real date, now, the first time we ever did anything, Aaron and I, we went to a... Um, we went to a Stampeders game. Got any football fans? Uh, so we went... <laughs> nobody. <laughs> Are you all like watching the Liverpool game on your phone? Okay, no, I, that's almost okay in church. It's um, we went to the football game. Erin only found out like just recently that I didn't, I didn't ask her first. She's like, you asked my friend Robin first? And I'm like... <laughs> Lucky for you, she was busy. That's... <laughs> She's like, are you serious? You only found out about this. It's not like I was hiding it. I just like, I don't know. It just never came up. And so I'm like, yeah, no, I asked Robin. I just, she was busy and stuff. 
And then she was all mad at me for a second. And she's like, well, she's too tall for you anyways. <laughs> and she raises rabbits. That's what she said. I'm like, okay, fair enough. Yeah, no. Um, but by the time we actually got to our first day, I was going to pick her up and go to a movie. Now, she lived in Calgary with... Um, with, I think uh, there was five girls in, in a, like a duplex and that's where they lived. And so I, I come up into the entryway. Now she's the only one home right now and we're gonna uh, pick her up and go to a movie. So I'm in the entryway and she's like, hey, um, I just need to find my pair of boots that I had. She had these old army boots that she just loved and that were terrible, but she just loved them. She just had a thing for these boots. She's like, I just need to find my boots and I'll be right with you. And so I'm like, okay. So I'm standing in the entryway and then I hear this, she goes down into the basement uh, where, where her room was, and she's like, I could hear this rummaging around, and I could hear more rummaging, then I could hear her moving around the house. And then I, uh, she comes upstairs, and she's like, I'll be with you in a minute. I share this story like every year or so, and, and <laughs> she always lets me share it. She comes past the entryway, like, I'll be right there. And she goes through the upstairs, and then she starts the loop again, down into the basement. But this time she's like getting angrier, and stuff is like moving more violently, you know? And she does this loop again, and she comes back, I'm like, I'll be right there. And then she goes through the upstairs, and then she goes back downstairs. And she does these loops. And I was, now listen, world's most impatient person. I'm a work in progress. That's why God made me a pastor. <laughs> so you have a problem with patience? Good, I'm gonna make you a pastor of people. Um, you're gonna live with five women. <laughs> you don't like long stories? I'm gonna give you four daughters, and you're gonna love it. <laughs> so, so I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm like, I stood in that entryway for an hour. She will still deny it to this day. She, she will not tell you it's an hour. Spirit of lying all over. It was one hour of my life. Now an hour to me is like, is like dog years, right? That's like 15 years of my life in that I'm standing there. And finally, this is like our first actual date. Finally, I yell, I yell. I'll buy you a new pair of freaking boots. Can we just get in the car? <laughs> and we're still married. There's a God in heaven and there's hope for you. Come on. All right. Um, see, but awe starts to rub off a little bit. Now, here's the trick. The enemy whispers in your ear as awe wears off, as adrenaline wears off, as the sense of wonder wears off. He whispers in your ear that it's the fault of the other person in the relationship because they're not, they must not be doing the things that they used to do to make us feel the way that we used to feel, right? But if that's the case, throw it over here. Have you ever lost your sense of, of wonder with God? Well, what's he ever done that's not wonderful? Or incredible? Or we find right there that awe has nothing to do with the other person. I mean, it helps if they're wonderful, but even then, it really has nothing to do with them. Your sense of awe has to do with you. And if it has to do with you, then you can work on it. Then you can create habits. Then you can get better. Then you can... But I'll tell you, as soon as you lose that sense of awe about that person, then all... See, the sense of awe covers a lot of their, their stupid stuff. Like at the beginning, you know, I'm just like, oh, it's so cute how she takes her time. And she's like, oh, it's cute how impatient he is. Yeah, after a couple of weeks, it's not cute anymore, man. Now you gotta, you get to live with the other person. Now you, and, and it covers a lot, but after it starts rubbing off, then we find ourselves in this place where we actually put that on them and say like, hey, you're not creating a sense of awe in me anymore. But God's like, no, you create the sense of awe in you. That's, and so, so 
so they're speaking in a relationship. You need to find your voice. I'm not going to talk about this a lot. You need to find your voice in a relationship. It took Pastor Aaron like years to find her voice. I never understood that because my mom definitely has a voice. <laughs> Have you ever heard Pastor Beth? <laughs> She'll tell you exactly what she thinks about you. Um, so I, I, it took me a while to understand that, that I had to like, well, no, like say what you, like say it. Like, I don't know. Um, so it took her a while to, to find her voice. Tammy said that from our small group. She said it took her probably some years in her marriage to find her voice. And then Lee's like, and then she found it, all right. And uh, <laughs> she could dish it out now. So there's the speaking part of that. Can I just say this? I'm not going to talk about finding your voice a lot. Because I think sometimes, I just need to say this, though. I feel like sometimes, um, sometimes, we, sometimes you won't speak up. It's not because it's not safe. Because we always tell ourselves, like, I would speak up if it was safe. Sometimes it's not because it's not safe. Sometimes it's because we're crazy. And speaking it lets everybody know. That's one of the reasons why you have to find your voice. So you speak crazy early before you think that crazy is normal. So that your small group leader can be like, that's not how marriage works. <laughs> you know, that's not how you discipline a child. That's not how you spend money. You know, so, so there's the finding of your voice, but it's risky because you put it out there. You put yourself out there and you can be hurt and you can, but you can also receive correction. Um, so there's the finding of your voice. There's the listening. Um, here's, here's something about listening that I would say that probably the most frustrating conversation with me is when, when listen, when what they say doesn't change what you say next, you're not listening. You've talked to people that literally repeat the same thing over and over again. And when you say something, it doesn't change what they say next. You're not listening. You, you have a story that you are trying to get out. You're trying to be right. Now, if you care about people the way Jesus cares about people, like he, Jesus, how many people know he knew the right answer to everything? But he's talking to the prostitute and he's talking to the, and he's talking to the tax collector and he's trying to get the gospel into them. But what he's now, listen, this is, this is why you get frustrated and why you create it because you're trying to connect them with you so that you can be right and they can do what you want. But what if communication and speaking and listening was to connect them with Jesus? Because when they connect with Jesus, then they'll connect better with you. And then it just takes this insecurity away from us where we're just like, have to be right and have to be heard and have to, yeah, why don't you just listen? Because if, if she says something, it should change what I say next if I care about her, even if she's wrong. I should be like, yeah, but have you considered to try to get her next to Jesus? Because if she's next to Jesus, we'll connect better too. I had somebody one time, they, they overheard me say something to my wife. And then they said, did you say this to your wife? And first of all, I'm like, you're not my pastor. <laughs> like, yeah, my pastor get to correct me about stuff like that, but I'm only married to one person. That seems weird. The next thing I said was, I didn't say what you said, think that I said. And then the person proceeded to get angry at me about something that they thought that I said that I didn't say. I'm like, not listening. No, I didn't say that. And no, you don't get to get angry at me about something I didn't say. It's this listening thing, man. You create a story and then you just go for it, you know? You know, learn how to, like, listen a little bit better. Now, let me talk about the sense of awe, because that's what this is all about. Um, isolation in the past couple of years bleeds awe. It bleeds. Now, you can live in a family of people or in and around. You can go to a great small group and still be isolated here and here. And have your own thing going on. 
Can I say this? For people who have been hurt or people that feel hurt, because sometimes you feel hurt when you're not hurt. I hate to break it to you, but... You know what I learned in my home is that when you sin against somebody, you don't get to feel hurt about that. If you wonder how that works, just talk to my mom. She'll tell you. <laughs> no, but there's this thing where you just start isolating yourself. But the Bible says, if you isolate yourself, you seek your own desire. Well, that's not the purpose of relationship is to seek the good of the people around you and to seek the good of the mission of the good of Christ, you know. Um, but you can, isolation bleeds awe because then you start thinking about you and you want everybody to have the sense of awe about you, but you don't have a sense of awe about them. And so, um, you know, reading somebody's Facebook post, because there's a lot of talking and listening, sort of, but reading somebody's Facebook post about the glory of God in the mountains, it doesn't translate to your soul. The only thing that translates to your soul is going to the mountains. Where like somebody else singing an amazing worship song and having this experience or going to a great church or having this friend that's closer than a brother, you know, something like that doesn't translate to you. You got to go out and do that. I was preaching to the kids. I'm like, some of you, you need better friends. But the reason you don't have better friends is because you're not friendly. They ask you to do stuff and you never do it. And then you complain that nobody likes you. Um, that was for free. Um, there's a lot of people coming down the mountain, a lot of church people coming down the mountain with like tablets of the commandments that they figure God is wanting everybody that needs to hear. I'm like, you don't get the, the tablets until you go up Sinai. A lot of people coming down, but they're not coming down from the mountain. They're coming down off of something. But I'm just thinking, no, no, it doesn't translate. You have to go to Sinai and have that intimate connection with God. You have to go and get revelation for your teenager. You got to go. It doesn't translate to your own soul. The isolation. It bleeds off. Um, this is what we do, though. If you've been hurt, we've all been hurt. You know what I find, though? I find that there's something inside of me that wants to control and negate all the bad surprises. That's why I try to get to the answer first. I'm trying to protect myself, right? What if it's not your job to protect you? What if it's our job to protect you? What if it's God's job to protect you? When my kids are with me, they don't have to protect themselves. Now, I don't mean go and do something stupid and go over to his house at midnight. That's dumb. But that's like, but do life with people who are like, don't go over there. That's dumb. And you're not going over there because we're going to hang out. You know, there's this different thing when you're trying to protect yourself that you're trying to control all the bad surprises that have happened to you. But you know what that does is that tries to control all the good surprises too. There's, there's a sense of awe. How do I create a sense of awe? You know, if you try to figure out why God loves you, you'll create a God that's smaller than he is. I just finally came to the thing, because I'm a thinker. I just finally came to this realization that he loves me, and I'll never figure it out. And I don't, will never deserve it, no matter what I do. And why don't I just, like, enjoy it? But it creates this, like, weird sense of awe, but also this, like, I owe him a lot. And sometimes that's what we don't like. We don't like owing people. Now the Bible says don't owe anything to anybody. Like pay off your debts except for love though. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, what if, what if being around people and, and how do I create a sense of awe? You know how I created just little things like this? Like I never would have thought of that. Thank you. Like, oh my goodness. And you're like, but you would have thought of that if you. I don't want to sleep on the couch. I start appreciating Ryan because Ryan's different than I am. And I need... Here's the deal. I don't have to be good at all the things he's good at. I have him. And he doesn't have to be good at all the things that I'm good at. He's got me. It's a family. That's how it works. Like, we would be in a threat by other people's strengths. We could just be like, yes, they're on my team. We win. You know, like, we're all going to the same. We got to arrive at the right destination. 
You know what the best thing you can do to create a sense of awe? The first service didn't even get this. Become a raving fan. Sometimes we're just like, we want people to be fans of us. Why don't you become a raving fan? That's why we worship the way we do. I want you to be a raving fan. I don't want you to sit there all like. If I was on stage, I wouldn't love Jesus. I'd be good. I'm a raving fan. Like you just love it. You just love helping people. You just love people. You just like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away by you, man. You're incredible. I say that to my kids all the time, you know, A, because they're smarter than me, but B, because I think that they are, and I don't care if they are, and that's great. That's the point. You're like, wow, that's incredible. I never would have thought of that. That's... You know what I, I've, I've done in my life? Now, this sounds sort of, sort of funny. I can tell you in five seconds if I've watched a movie, but every time I get to the end of the movie, my kids think it's, it's hilarious. My wife doesn't get it. I get to the end of the movie, and I am shocked every <laughs> single time. I've... Aaron's like, you watched this 15 times, and I'm like, no way! <laughs> now look, now if I'm intelligent enough to know if I've seen a movie five seconds in, I'm probably intelligent enough to know the movie's ending. I think what I had to do along the way, because my mind was such a stronghold, I think I just had to start enjoying things a little bit better. You know what I mean? Just get to the end and be kind of surprised and be like, no way! And, uh... That's what kids do, man. Kids are just like, they're not trying to control everything. They just want to, if they're in a healthy home, they don't need to control everything. That's what your job is, you know? Like, um, listen, I can't appreciate an infinite God in a world I've memorized. All I do is make God really, really small and try to cram him into my life somehow. You're part of the infinite and the all-powerful and the all-loving and the all-caring. There's nothing that's been done to you that he can't heal. There's nothing that can be done to you that he can't turn on its head and make a strength in your life. There's literally nothing that can happen in the world that he can't turn around. Now, it's our job as the church to go in there and turn it around and to help and to... But even in crisis, God is not limited by crisis. In fact, God often uses crisis and uses these things to turn nations back around. What do you think he's been doing in Canada for two years? He did what a hundred years of normal living couldn't have done. And you're like, are you saying that it's okay to... No. But I'm going to look at what God is doing. I'm going to concentrate on that and be like, hey, this is an opportunity. This is a time for us to step up. Now there's the three parts. There's your relationship with God. There's listening to God. You've got to read the word of God. There's praying. You've got to find your voice. And not with your Christmas list all the time. I mean, you just got to like say all the crazy stuff to God and let him sort it out. But then there's worship. Worship brings the transcendent. Now you shouldn't worship people. You should have a sense of awe of the God who made the people. Right? You don't worship people. You don't wor- I don't want to be worshipped in my home. I want them to worship Jesus. I, like, I want a mild level of respect so that I can teach them to worship Jesus more. You know, I don't want to be like worship. But it's this thing of, of, see, your brain wants to be God. It wants you to worship it. That's why we have to turn the music up. And we have to, it has to overwhelm your senses to this place where it's like the transcendent is created. And we're just like blown away by God. Um, now, odd decreases your, self, uh, your self-importance to the place where you can be lifted. You get that? You're easy to promote when your self-importance goes down. You become more important when your self-importance goes down. This is what endeared Daniel to the kings. It says Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. This is a big deal. He appointed a high officer to rule over each province. So he's got 120 people. He said he also chose Daniel, two other guys, three people, to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Something about a sense of awe will help you protect the other person's interests. And I don't mean like what they want from you, because sometimes what they want you can't give them. But I just mean the interest that God has invested in them. And like, you know, like 
the, sometimes you got to do what's right for people in the sight of God, which means they don't get what they want all the time. Come on, anybody got kids? Nobody has kids, all right. Um, it says Daniel proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of his great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. So as he rises, because he's not important in his own eyes, he's not a rival to the king. Some of y'all, you, you get a new job and you're just like rivaling the boss or the manager right out of the gate. I'm like, how? Oh, you're unpromotable. They're not going to trust you. Um, but it says this. Um, the other administrators, they got mad. They, they were trying to find fault in him, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was always, he was faithful, always responsible and completely trustworthy. Man, I wish, I wish somebody would say that about me. We have awkward moments, but we love it. It's a gift, everybody. So they concluded our only chance, watch this. We're going to try to trip him up in the rules of his religion because we can't find fault in his decision making. So they can, um, so the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, long live King Darius. Um, they don't really mean it, but long live King Darius. We're all in agreement. We administrators, you know, probably Daniel officials, probably Daniel high officers, maybe Daniel advisors, maybe Daniel, like they were super devious in how they did this. They said that the king should make a law. We all agree that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone divine or human, except to you, your majesty will be thrown into a den of lions. And so Darius signs this decree because he was backed into a corner because he said he would do it before he checked out the before he googled it all right it says this now verse 10 here's the hinge of the whole sermon but when daniel learned that the law had been signed he went home he didn't do something drastic he didn't do something talented he went home knelt down as usual he is created in his home in his upstairs as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open towards Jerusalem. Why is it telling us all these details? Because this was his thing. This was his habit. Your habit tells everybody around you, you don't think you're special. You're just trying to do what's right. So he goes, he creates this like place, this place of awe with its windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done giving thanks to God. He goes, he opens his windows towards Jerusalem. Why? Jerusalem, where he grew up, maybe where his parents were killed, where he was brought as a slave. He opens his windows towards this place that he's never going to go. He reminds himself that his service here, he's still in a foreign land, but there's a place that maybe the new Jerusalem, when he dies and he goes to be with God, a sense of awe, a sense of longing. He taps into this every day. It keeps him grounded. He gets grounded by his past pain. Doesn't wreck him. He gets grounded. Says he prayed three times a day and he gave thanks to God just as he has always done. Then the officials went together to his house and found him praying and asking for God's help. Man, if they came to your house, is that what they would find you doing? That's the worst thing they could say about you. Like he was asking for God's help again. What do you think he was asking for God's help for? So at last, the king gave orders to, uh, for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, may your God whom you serve so faithfully rescue you. Like, I'm sorry for the whole lion's thing, but I got a little trapped in my ego. Um, then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. I'm thinking, what's usual entertainment for a guy who has a bunch of lions in a pit that he throws people to? Like pulling the wings off of flies? Like, what does this guy do for fun? You know what I mean? You don't think that's funny? Like, I mean, like, put yourself in these shoes here. Like, if you can't develop all where your life is right now, living in this nation, man, there's something wrong with us. 
Very early the next morning, he got up, hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, long live the king. I'd have been like, short live the king, you idiot. I'm living with a bunch. You're crazy. How are you in charge of a nation? What he did every day put him in a place where he awed, he had awe, he honored somebody who may not have deserved it, but that awe is not about them, it's about you. And he put himself into a place where, can I ask this? Who do you think he prayed for three times a day? Can I bring this close to home, Alberta? I got people who are always on me for like their own political agenda and what they wanted to listen. In this time of COVID, I've just done what I've always done and prayed and come and just done what God told us to do. That's it. It's not complicated. You're not talented, are you? No, obviously not. Just trying to listen and obey. That's it. It's not complicated. Now, I was getting a little bit upset with the whole like martial law thing, which is crazy for a bunch of truckers. Like I, I don't get it, but then God's like, you ready? Uh, how much have you been praying for the prime minister and his family? They're far from me. Well, we stop praying for people now who make decisions we don't like. Who throw us to the lions. We stop praying. What do you think he had all this time in the lions den? What do you think he was doing down there? And now he had more than three times a day. He could spend all night praying for King Darius. I'm like, man, what? Alberta, come on. Church? What about Mr. Not familiar, Mr. Prime Minister Justin and his family. God, I pray that his kids would get, you put them next together with kids that go to youth and churches that I know there. I just pray, God, that you somehow get into that, save the family for all of eternity. You're like, but he's doing all this and then, come on, we're supposed to care about people and people making bad decisions. And somebody prayed for you and got you here. You didn't deserve it. Don't worry, guys. The king is God's problem when we pray for the king three times a day. Watch what happens. You're like, yeah, well, nothing can turn this around. Watch what happens. Daniel says, my God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths so they would not hurt me for I've been found innocent. I've not wronged you, your majesty. And then Darius says this in a, in a turnaround, not just for their nation, but for 120 provinces. Watch this turnaround. All because one man had a sense of awe and prayed for him. Watch. Darius says, I decree, hey, I've used my laws for all sorts of nasty stuff. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. He will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His rule will never end. He rescues and saves people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lion. <laughs> Father, we pray for our nation right now and we pray for our leaders. I pray that there would be a sense of awe about God and a sense of awe about the people that we need to pray for. You've forgiven us. Well, that's all that we ask is to forgive them as we forgive them and we have mercy and we love. I pray for divine wisdom that they would rule over us with the rule of God. But even if the, it's the den of lions for us, we're going to serve and we're going to pray and we're going to act like Jesus. Even on a cross, we're going to pray for the people that put us there. And Father, I just pray in Jesus' name that all would rise in our hearts. Can I share a little story my brother Ryan, when he was five, my little brother, he used to sit in the back seat of the car. We went on a vacation with my grandma. She was in there and, and I was there. Ryan used to cross his legs, which when you're five and you're a boy, that's just weird. But Ryan's a little weird. 
he started asking my dad, like, hey, dad, how much does gas cost? There's a pause. He goes, how much does, like, McDonald's cost? And how much does a hotel with a water slide that we're going to, how much does it cost? And he finally leans forward all serious. My grandma just loses it. My grandma's so smart and clever, and she just lost it laughing. He leans forward and he says, Dad, do you think we can afford this vacation? Yeah, here's the thing. You're Ryan, you guys. You're creepy. You're asking all these creepy questions of God all the time. Listen, listen. My dad would just be like, boy, just look out the window and enjoy the scenery. Listen, this is what God is saying to somebody here. You're worried about your marriage right now. You're worried about the state of the nation. Listen, if God's driving, he pays. Look out the window a little more. Become a raving fan of Jesus a little more. Pray for those in authority. Pray for those who hurt you a little more. Relax. Take your little hands off the steering wheel, get into the back seat, and enjoy life a little bit more, even in the midst of the battle, even in the midst of the war. God's got this, and God pays when God drives.